Welcome back to this episode of Behind the Wealth. I'm your host, Roger Abel. We're here today to talk about some of the most common questions I get about debt. Um, and we're going to answer some of those questions. I'm joined by Elias Randall. Welcome back, Elias. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show again. Feels good to be back in the hot seat today. I know we just got done talking about um, New Year's resolutions and goals. And, you know, maybe this year we'll accomplish one of your goals, and that's to actually do an introduction for the show. We'll, we'll yep. see if you can work your way into introduction mode. Yeah, so for the listeners listening, if you hear me uh, do the intro one day, that means I earn Roger's trust and respect <laughs> to be able to do the opening of the show. Uh, <laughs> That's one of my main goals this year. Uh, all right, well, let's get into it. And this is probably one of the biggest questions we get regarding debt. And it's when is it okay to finance a purchase through debt? And ideally, we'd all make purchases with cash all the time. But in reality, at some point, most people are going to take some level of debt in their life. Um, and, and we break it down into two types of debt. There's there's really good debt, bad debt. And, and I think of good debt, I think of debt that is going to help build my net worth, increase my overall wealth in life. So some of those things would be land, real estate, education, um, starting a business. I view those things as good debt. What, I mean, what do you think of anything else that we view as good debt? Um, I think to a certain extent to add to those, um, I financing a reliable car is not a bad idea to me. Um, so I think depending on the terms of the loan, I even think an auto loan could be good debt, it's not going to be the lowest interest rate you can get. But if it's a short term loan that you can, um, that you can afford to pay every month, and it doesn't cut into your savings, and your other life, your other lifestyle priorities. Um, yeah, I think taking a loan on a reliable car could be a good, good idea. Yeah, we've, we've actually had this discussion off air a lot. The problem with that strategy is once people start borrowing for the car, the car that, that we'd say would be a reliable car is like a fifteen or $16,000 car. Because what you're doing is you're comparing buying a, a junker, per se, that we're going to put 1000 or two or $3,000 into every year. And in five years, we're going to have the same amount into that car as we would have had through that car payment. But here's the problem I see when people start financing cars. They don't buy the one that's economical and makes financial sense. They start at that one. And then, oh man, well, that has leather interior and that has heated seats. And we go from like a 17, because we've looked at the price of these cars. Yeah. So we could get a reliable car for $15,000, brand new with a warranty, all those different things. But that's not what happens. Then they move into XYZ brand and oh, I like this one better. And they start to think about this in terms of just a monthly payment. And not in terms of how much am I spending. I don't want people to just say, oh, man, it's just a payment. We don't want just a payment. But in, in my opinion, there's, and I agree with you, there are points in time where if you're in a job that requires you to drive, if you're in a sales job, you can't afford to have a car breaking down. It costs you money. It costs you time. It costs you a headache. You go on vacation, the last thing you want to do is worry about your car breaking down. And if you start to add up the cost of owning a vehicle, 
versus a very expensive one with a warranty and everything works, you don't fix anything, it's probably about the same. But reality is most people spend 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 on a car when they finance it. So I tend to still put the car into bad debt for the most part because people don't know how to actually do it properly. Yeah, right? so yeah, so I'll add I'll add two things and don't as far as so it's the auto debt it's kind of it can go either way, right? So the way you're describing, well that's obviously bad debt if you're just spending over what you can afford. So I'll add two things and don't quote me on this, but I think I stole this from Sue Zorman. Uh, I learned this watching her show a long time ago, but her rule of thumb was if you can put enough money down and then finance it for 12 months, that's a good strategy. So that's like kind of a rule of thumb I've lived by um, since then. And the other thing to touch on what you were just saying, and so I worked on a farm when I was in high school and farmers are a great source of um, wisdom with like one-liner sayings. And the guy I worked for, he used to say, Eli, there's a difference between what you can afford and what you can make a payment on. <laughs> so, and he's getting at things like this. Buy the $15,000 basic vehicle because at the end of the day, all it is is a way to get from point A to point B. But when you start adding all those bells and whistles, well, now you're getting into, I can make this payment. So just remember, there's a difference between what you can afford and what you can make as far as a payment's well, concerned. Well, just that, that's a really good point because you just said, hey, a good strategy that you utilize is we buy a car financed over 12 months. So that means if you bought a $15,000 car, it's $1,100, $1,200 a month for that car. So that means you could actually make a payment on a car that was probably 60 or 70,000. The problem is you're gonna live with that debt for five or six years. And, and I think that you need to watch the purchase prices of the car. So a car can go either way, but we all need a form of transportation. I believe we should have a reliable form of transportation. But the bad debt, let's just get into what is clearly bad debt. Yeah, so clearly, credit cards. Yeah, credit cards, um, that's bad debt. The interest rates are so high. So that's, Compound interest is one of the greatest things in finance. And when you have a lot of credit card debt, compound interest is working against you. And it's a, uh, when compound interest is working for you, that's very favorable and that's great. But the 15, 18, 20% credit cards, um, you get, you get in a hole that's going to be hard to dig out of. Well, and the companies are great at getting you to utilize the cards. Every store you go to is asking you if you'd like a $100 gift card to sign up for the Shields card. Or, you know, you can go to Best Buy today and get 0% financing for 18 months. Or Lowe's, you, get, you know, 12 months, no interest financing. They're all trying to lure you in with some special because they know human nature is not to pay the credit card off. If human beings were able to put $3,000 on a credit card and pay it off every single month, it wouldn't be bad debt because you're not carrying it. But what happens is something gets in the way. Oh, I put $3,000 on the credit card, but my car broke down. So now I can't pay the credit card because I have to pay this car bill. So now I got $3,000 on a high interest rate credit card. Um, and they lure you in. They incentivize you to do it. Don't fall for credit card offers, I should say. I, I remember, and I think I've talked about this before, 
my wife and I first bought our house, needed a new TV. I went to Best Buy, bought the TV, 18 months, no interest. Oh, I'm making the minimum payment. I'm thinking I'm doing everything right. 18 months comes up. I haven't paid this card off. And I get a bill for like $423 of it. My, my, my balance went up like 423 bucks. I'm like, what's this? Well, it was all the accrued interest. I didn't actually understand. Nor said I had to pay this off in 18 months, except for the fine print. It was, oh, you have to pay it off in 18 months. Otherwise you pay all that back accrued interest. It was never 0%. So, you know, that's a stupid tax. I paid it. I didn't read what I signed up for, but I learned a very, very valuable lesson that if it's 0% interest, there's strings attached. There is. So now, and I will say, if you're going to use, borrow money to buy things on a 18 month, no interest, that's fine. The situation you described, that's not a good idea. If you pay it off in the amount of time that you're allowed to still get the free interest rate, it's not a bad idea to use other money's, other people's money for free um, to make some bigger purchases in your life because really your choices are save up for it, yep. which could take you 18 months, or if you do 0% interest and you're diligent and responsible and pay it off, you can enjoy it for those 18 months instead of going without. So yes, credit card, carrying credit card debt is a bad idea. Good if point. you're responsible and you can pay it off, you know, I'd, I don't see any problem with having credit cards and using them. I think everybody has to have a credit card today. But I think the point is if you utilize a finance offer, which I, I try not to do, like I, I personally wouldn't do it, but I get people might need to. The best thing to do is actually just go set up the day you do it, figure out what you have to make the payment for over 18 months and make it for 16. Don't divide by 18, divide by 16, give yourself some buffer and just set up the automatic payment so it's being made. If you don't do it, something's going to come up and you're going to end up paying like, two, I think the default rate on those is like 24%. So if you don't pay it off, you're paying 24%. So on a $2,000 purchase, that's $480 that you thought you were saving and you didn't. It was, I mean, it's it's absolutely insane. And that's per year. So um, credit card debt, I would say the only really time to finance a purchase, if you plan on paying it off on a credit card right away, you're going to set up a payment plan or it's a vehicle or house, low interest. Um, but for the most part, try to live with minimal amount of debt. It doesn't, debt does not help increase your net worth. And that's what this show is about is increasing your net worth. So um, that's what I, I would say about that. The second most common question we get is, should I use extra cash to pay down debt or invest towards retirement? Um, it's a good question. If you think back to our financial freedom guide, it's really to see where you are at from a saving standpoint. Are you saving 10% of your income? Once that's done, it's to get an emergency account. So if you don't have an emergency account, I wouldn't pay down your debt with that. An emergency account for us is three to six months, uh, but it's particular to yourself. It's not $1,000. That's not an emergency fund. That's a $1,000, this is gonna be gone fund really fast if anything happens. Um, and this is what I like to look at if I'm gonna determine whether I'm gonna pay down debt or whether I'm gonna invest. If the interest rate, so let's look at homes right now. It's 2.75% interest on a 30-year note. On a 15, it's like two and a half, two and a quarter. It's fluctuating daily. Well, why would I pay that off if I could go invest in some investment that has shown a track history of six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10%, whatever the investment is. Like there's an opportunity cost of those dollars just to pay off debt. 
That doesn't make any sense. So I, if you had credit cards, high interest rate debt, we're going to knock that out. But if, if you have some vehicle over here that you can invest in that's going to make more than the interest you're paying, we would opt for the, the vehicle that's going to help us build the maximum amount of wealth. So, okay, you got a 4% interest rate on something and you're earning eight over here. Well, who wouldn't want to earn eight versus paying off the four? Yeah, that that's, um, it, it just, yeah, it depends on the interest rate. And I'll say for the interest rate environment we have now, if you got a rate around 3% or you recently financed, and if you have a 3% interest rate on a 30-year mortgage, to me, making extra payments on the house doesn't make any sense. And, you know, any sort of analysis you do on it, um, over 30 years, you're going to have, if you're investing the extra money, and then you're also going to have a paid off asset, you're going to have a higher net worth at the end of those 30 years. And, and here's a really good way, because we're strictly talking about the financial component of it, the pure numbers. The other component, which probably drives more investor behavior and um, what people do is the, the emotional part. Some people just want to have all the debt paid. Here's what I'd impl implore people to do if they don't want to just blindly you know, invest the money or pay off the debt, get a financial plan. Because you could quantify with some level of confidence whether you should pay off your house or keep saving for retirement. So let's say you do a financial plan and it says, well, based upon what you're currently saving, where we project you're gonna be in the future, what you wanna spend in retirement, the age in which you wanna retire, all those different factors. If you continue on your same path, you have a 80% probability of success in retirement, meaning 80%, you're not gonna run out of money. And you asked me this question and said, well, I have all this extra cash, what should I do with it? It's really your choice at that point in time if you're already on track for retirement, right? It may not make the most financial sense to pay off the debt, but it might make the emotional sense and take the burden off. So because, you know, if you're away on track for retirement, you're gonna have more money than you need for retirement. Why not pay the house off and just get rid of it, right? So I like to quantify these decisions with a financial plan or what I'd call a financial decision tree to help make all of the really important choices that we're gonna have in life. Because when I give you, give you an opinion, it's just an opinion. But if I run it through a financial plan, what happens is I'm starting to put fact behind that opinion. And that's really how we want people to make financial decisions is based upon fact and less opinion, less human emotion. Yeah, that's that's the beautiful thing about having <clears throat> having a financial plan and especially the way we do it. Because what you just talked about right there, well, there that's a scenario and everyone's scenario everyone's situation is unique, but you can help someone quantify their decision. And a lot of times that's all people are really looking for. They just want help making the decision. So then they feel confident in it. And the other thing I'll add, um, you know, just from pure financial standpoint, investing money most times is a more efficient way to build wealth. But if having debt keeps you up at night, uh, your peace of mind is peace of mind is priceless. And if if having any amount of debt keeps you up at night, I would say paying that off and getting that off your plate is more important than investing money. Well, but that depends on the person. We've said this for a long time. We're in the sleep business. We're in the business of helping people sleep at night.
We I mean, should be. It is. Think about what we do is we help people make decisions to make them feel better about their financial future. We don't always give them the answers that they want to hear. We'll tell them what they need to hear, but we'll also tell them how to get where they want to go. Um, you know, most times when people come into the office and meet with us, they have an idea of what they want to do. And a lot of times I'll just say, hey, what do you think you should do? Because I want to see, I want to gauge where they're at. Because if they're on track, I want to reinforce what they're doing. Because most people are doing most of the things right. They just come here for some of the fine tuning. for And validation. Validation. Everyone, everyone enjoys having someone say to them, uh, especially if it's a professional or an expert, yes, this is the right thing for you to do. Yeah. And, and that's what we do. We validate what people are doing. So <clears throat> this really goes, this next question we get a lot goes with paying off debt, but how do I approach paying down debts? And I've talked about this on a previous episode. We have the information in our freedom, financial freedom guide on our website, btwellshow.com, but there's really two most popular ways to pay down debt. And which way you do this is not important. What's important is that you start it and you have a game plan to execute it. If it doesn't work for you, go take the other method. But the first method is the debt snowball method. It's a very well-known method. It's been made popular by Dave Ramsey. And it's basically the method of starting with your lowest debts, paying those off first, and going to your highest debts. So the reason the debt snowball method tends to work very well is because people get the psychological satisfaction of accomplishing something, a small goal, and then moving on to the next one. But for somebody who's looking purely at it from a mathematical standpoint, so if you're an engineer or you're a, you know, a math person, it may make sense for you to look at what's called the debt avalanche. It's less known, but this actually attacks the highest interest rate debt first to the lowest, which that resonates more with me. I'm a finance guy. So I think about let's knock out the highest interest rate debt first to the lowest, because why would I want to pay off my lowest interest rate debt? it's my smallest think about it. if you have a thousand dollar bill and it's two percent it's 20 bucks a year why would i want to pay that off when i have something that's 12 percent and it's ten thousand? like let's get that taken care of because it's bigger impact um so those are the two most popular methods go to the website and just download the guide we have a detailed strategy on how to do both in there i don't believe one is right the one that's right is the one that gets you to the accomplishment of being debt free the, the one that's right is what works for you. The plan that works for you is the right one. Um, and as far as approaching paying down debt, we should probably mention, if you haven't refinanced recently, um, you should look at it. Interest rates right now around 3%, maybe a little bit lower, maybe slightly higher depending on the day. Um, I'll just talk about my own personal situation. So interest rates went back to all time lows. And we re last summer, we, um, we did the entire outside of our house. So siding windows and a new roof. So we added a lot of value to our home and we still have $10,000 of outstanding student loan debt. But what I was able to do is the money I borrowed to fix the house and the student loan we were able to refinance all the debt with the new interest rates and my payment acts. So I actually owe more money on my home now, but our payment is like $300 every month less. So yes, the loan on our house is higher than it was, but our positive cash flow increased 
just by meeting with the bank and asking them, hey, is there something we can do with this debt to get it consolidated and see if it's going to help our cash flow? Well, and you can take that and then apply it to a higher interest rate debt or to retirement that's arguably earning a higher rate. Yeah, um, in our case, it's helping pay daycare bills right now. Yeah. We have two little kids in daycare. So. Well, one of the things that I, I caution people on when they refinance, and, and I know people get caught in this trap, is they had a 30-year mortgage, and now they've paid on it for five years, and they refinance. And they went back to a 30-year mortgage. And what they're really doing is going back and resetting the clock and paying this house off. So if you're going to refinance, here's what I like people to do. If you had a 30-year mortgage, I'm not saying you can't take a 30-year mortgage, but if you've been five years in, make the payment that would pay the house off in 25 years. Or if you're 10 years into your mortgage, go refinance, but make a 20-year payment so you're not constantly stretching out how long this how you're going to have this house payment. Otherwise, you're going to have it forever. And ideally, when we hit retirement last year, young enough, it doesn't matter, but if you're a 50-year-old, do you really want to go take a 30-year loan? Or maybe you should be saying, hey, I'm going to retire in 15 years. I'm going to do a 15-year loan and get this thing paid off so we don't have this burden of a house. So, um, Yeah, that, that, that's uh, a good, that's a really good I'm all for refinancing, but just starting the clock over, all you do is go back to the, the beginning, paying the most interest because you pay the most interest the first payment you make in a 30-year loan. Um, you know, a lot of people advocate paying a house off in 15 years. Well, you can have a 30-year loan and pay it off in 15 years. You just figure out what the payment is. So in your case, you can take that extra 300 and just make the payment, and it probably would pay it off in 15 years versus the 30 refinance too. But in, you, you got kids and daycare and diapers and all that good stuff. Um, question four, will I get stuck with my family member's debt or vice versa after they die? And that's a good question. Um, it depends on how the debt's connected to the family members, right? Um, you know, assets left behind after death go to pay off debt. So like if your wife dies, that's co-debt. You're going to have that, right? But if it's an aunt and she passes away, well, I'm not going to be responsible for her debt unless I was connected to it in some form of co-signing or something of that matter. Um, now, the creditors are going to come after it first. So if you're expecting an inheritance from somebody, right? And, and I'll use, I had a great aunt. I had a great, and this is, this is actually a really good example. She lived in a small little house and she had no relationship with money. And nobody knew this. My dad didn't know it. My grandpa didn't know it, which was her brother. And she passed away at like 63 or 64. She was a teacher in a very small town, never made a lot of money. When she died, she had like 50,000 credit card debt. And we talked to my grandpa, like, how do you know how this happened? She, he goes, no, but I do know this. Like, she only made the minimum payments on the credit cards because she didn't know she had to pay them off. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like, yes, some she had, people don't. You she just, just don't thought know. you just made a payment. You never really had to pay it off. So when she died, you know, she had an estate, but all the estate went to pay her debt. So, which is fine, no one needed inheritance, but think about this, if your parents are highly in debt and you're planning, which we never tell people to do, you're planning on getting an inheritance from your family, they're gonna have to pay all their debts off first. And then whatever's left will come to you, but you won't be personally liable for those debts. Um, typically it's just of spouse or if you're gonna co-sign um, for somebody. And, and you know, if you're married and you have debts, 
the number one way to, to self-complete your financial plan is through having a low-cost term life insurance policy in place. You know, you can go to our website and click more information. We can get those quotes. Literally, for a 30-year-old, it is so cheap. It might be 200 bucks a year to get the coverage they need, depending upon what it is. But that's the best way to make sure you're not sticking your wife or you know loved one with some level of debt is make sure you've left enough money through a life insurance policy for them to utilize to pay it off. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And that's my my minimum threshold. So when, uh, especially meeting with younger people and they start asking me about life insurance, I like this kind of range. And then you kind of decide what you want to pay for and what's going to work for you. But certainly the minimum is the amount of debt you have. If you go from two incomes to one income, it's going to be a lot harder to pay on that. And then the other rule of thumb I use is 10 times um, your annual income. Some people feel like they don't need that much. Um, I certainly don't think more than that is necessary, but if you, if you would want to do that, that's totally fine. Um, so just as far as looking at that and making those decisions, I think that's kind of the, a good operating range to be in. I've been doing this for 18 years, roughly, and I've done all the fancy calculations from insurance, and most of the time, the number you gave is somewhere in the range of acceptable insurance amount, 7, 10, 12 times. It depends on what you have, right? If you've got you know, a high income in houses and cars and all this stuff, like you may want to have a little more. Right, because you have to replace more income for your spouse. Your spouse doesn't work; probably going to have more than ten times, because <clears throat> you're responsible for completing your contributions to your retirement plan for a lifetime, as well as allowing her or him the assets they need to live on if they don't plan on going back to work. Because I, one thing I look at when I look at life insurance for people, I don't expect if the spouse isn't working that they're ever going to go back to work. Because one of the hardest things in our society, and it's really a fault of society, not a fault of the person, is re-entering the workforce after you've raised a family or been off. I mean, it's really hard to go back and get a high-paying job. Um, so I would always assume that that person's never going back to work. And if they do, great. But the, the assumption is typically they're not going to go back. And once again, this goes back to, goes back to maybe the main point of our show. Having a financial plan can help you quantify the quantify those type of decisions, help you make those decisions, and feel very confident in those. That's a good point. We we try we don't want to guess. No. There's two things we don't want to be part of your financial life. That's luck and hope. Those are two words that we don't want to have part of your financial life. Is I want a little luck, and I I hope this works out. We can quantify this stuff and build a really good game plan to help people be successful with their financial life. I get this question from time to time, and it's a pretty straightforward answer, but should I borrow from my retirement plan to put a bigger down payment on a house and reduce the amount of mortgage debt? <clears throat> and, and I'm gonna tell you, no, we shouldn't for two primary reasons. Number one, in today's interest rate environment, your mortgage loan, the mortgage loan um, interest rate is less than the loan interest rate on the 401k plan. Typically, the 401k plan has a LIBOR plus some interest rate to get to, to a base interest rate you're going to have to pay back. But two, and more importantly, you don't know how long you're going to have that job. We all assume we're going to have that job for a long time, right? 
but it could end tomorrow. And COVID brought this to life. I mean, companies have been on life support, but we're going to start to see people getting laid off in the next six to 12 months. The ripple, ripple effects through the economy aren't good. The stock market looks great, but the economy's not great. If you've taken a loan on your 401k to pay down a mortgage amount that you're able to finance over 30 years at all-time low interest rates, and you lose your job in 2020, you lose your job today, you have until April of 2021 to pay back that loan. So if you borrowed 50,000, you have to pay it back by April. And if you don't, you pay income tax the entire amount, plus a 10% penalty if you're not 59 and a half. So I, I don't think there's really any circumstance that I'd go to a 401k to pay down on mortgage debt. I view the 401k loan provision for last possible option for money if we're in a really big jam, right? You've already went to the bank and they said no. You don't have a credit card. You're out of your emergency fund. It's the la it's the choice of last resort, okay? And, and then we go there. And it's because you can put yourself in a worse financial position than actually just biting the bullet and sucking it up for a few months to get where you need to go. And tr truth be told, this is another great reason to have a financial plan. What you're just talking about right there. Um, if you have a good plan, the only time you're going to dip into retirement um, as far as borrowing money from it, it's going to be the absolute last yeah. resort. And you won't, you re really, you probably won't get there. Um, unfortunately, maybe sometimes you do. Now, I would, you could probably craft a really good argument that people without a financial plan are going to get there sooner than people that have a good financial plan. They're probably never going to get to this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, it brings up a good point. And I have this in our financial freedom guide on the website. We talk about this. What constitutes an emergency or last resort? It's not a home improvement. It's not, I need a new car, right? Because you know, I'll use this example. We're all going through COVID-19 and all this craziness. And everybody thinks they're careful. But careful the one person is not careful to the next, right? Because careful the one person is I never leave my house and careful to the next is, well, I go out and get my hair done and my nails and I go to the gym, but I wear a mask, you know, like, but they both think they're careful. It's the same exact thing with what's an emergency to some people. An emergency is I can't make my mortgage payment. I can't put food on the table. Like got to turn the heat off and other people's, well, my car has 30,000 miles. I need a new one. Uh, That's that, not that an emergency. That doesn't hit my so, emergency. I'm just saying there. there there's people that oh, I have to finish my basement this year and it's, it's an emergency. I got to go to my 401k and get it. That's not an emergency. The 401k loan provision is for I'm in really, really bad trouble or I lost my job and I can't pay my bills. That's the only yeah. time we go and pay that until we get to retirement where we actually need to start living on it. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, I think we answered a lot of really good questions, Elias. Uh, do you have any final takeaways from today's show? Uh, just remember that, so debt, you know, debt's very situational. There is good debt, there is bad debt, um, and we touched on both of them. There's different, strategy, different strategies to get out of debt when you have accumulated some. And I would turn everyone to our website, um, get a financial plan, 
and execute it and stick to it. Yep, you can find us at btwellshow.com. Uh, this is Roger Ray. We'll appreciate you listening. Until next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.